rolling right along this morning. Sorry. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So it looks like we made it through another holiday season. Barbara, disguised as the Grinch, has now destroyed the whole house of all of our Christmas decorations. They're all gone, put away somewhere in the basement. I've broken most of my New Year's resolutions already, so there we go, right? Time to move on. So these holiday seeds, uh, holidays, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's Day, uh, represent a lot of time together with their families, some time-honored traditions, right? And there's good food, good family, good fun. And speaking of food, you see the... Uh, obligatory uh, thing of the holiday season that's probably still in the refrigerator a little bit, right? The leftovers, right? Who's got leftovers? You know, there's something about leftovers. Um, you like, love them or not, it's all perspective, really. Um, one time, uh, there was this family who shall remain nameless who had maybe one too many leftovers meals after Thanksgiving, and the daughter, one of the daughters looked less than pleased, so the dad, dad may have said, well, why don't you uh, give a blessing of thanks for uh, this meal before we start? The daughter may or may not have said something like, dear God, thank you for this food, again. <laughs> or the time the pastor said, he started to eat before the meal, uh, before the prayer, and the family said, hey, what about the blessing? And the pastor may or may not have said something like, well, if you can show me something that hasn't been prayed over twice already, I don't know how one more prayer is going to help anything right here. Right? But leftovers can be a good thing for convenience sake, right? Uh, there's times where I cook too much food on purpose so that we can have an easy meal later on. My trouble, though, is reheating things, especially that Thanksgiving turkey. I don't know if anybody's got some good tips for that. Once it hits the fridge, it's just not the same. When I was a kid, I used to lather a, a big uh, pile of uh, Miracle Whip on that white bread, you know, put some turkey on there, bite it, and get stuck to the roof of your mouth. You know what I'm talking about, right? But that was more about the Miracle Whip. I used to have Miracle Whip and lettuce sandwiches, just to put it in perspective. So the turkey was just kind of obligatory kind of thing. But that's the problem with leftovers, reheating them. Um, one time I was, uh, made too much spaghetti, and I was going to make an easy meal later, so I've got a frying pan, and I've got olive oil in it, and I'm basically frying this spaghetti. Bethy comes up and goes, man, dude, I am not eating your fried spaghetti. So, but then there's the microwave. What do you do with the microwave? I mean, you put it in the microwave, and it comes out, and it's hotter than the temperature of the sun. And 15 seconds later, it's like lukewarm again. So I don't know. If anybody's got some good um, ways around this for me, let me know. But there's no getting around the fact that, that leftovers can be tiresome. But leftovers, not only talking about food, not only talking about the holiday food, but um, leftovers can come, sometimes uh, creep into other aspects of our lives. Um, husbands, wives work very hard and then come home and give their spouse kind of the leftovers of time. And parents work very hard and sometimes play even harder and give their kids these scraps of time, and these leftover bits of time. So leftovers out of the fridge can become tiresome. Leftovers in our relationships can lead to disappointment. But where it really matters is if we have leftovers, if that's a way we describe our relationship with God, um, that can become downright dangerous. And believe it or not, Jesus talks about that. Not microwaves kind of thing, but Jesus talks about us being lukewarm and talks about us giving him only our leftovers. And you might think, you know, when we talk about Jesus said these things, you might think, well, we have to look in the Gospels. Well, that's not entirely true. There's a section of the book of Revelation that Jesus talks. 
If you have a red letter Bible, you know where Jesus' words are in red? Um, chapter 2 and 3 is solid red in the book of Revelation. So we're going to look at chapter 2, chapter 3, rather, of Revelation in what Jesus was talking about. I want to uh, start in verse 14. This is Revelation 3, verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church in, uh, are you ready for this? Ladakia. Everybody say Ladakia. Yeah, I paid a lot of money to learn how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to get my money's worth this morning on you guys. I'm sorry. But. This is the voice of Jesus. And if you want a theological debate on that, we'll, we'll talk about that later. It says, To the angel of the church in Ladakia, write, These are the words of the Amen. I didn't get through this this morning either. <clears throat> it's so powerful. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Lisa, get up here. We're going to write a song about this. I mean, my goodness, this is just like poetry. These are the words of the Amen. I'm going to put a bookmark there. We're going to talk about that word. We're going to talk about that concept at length um, later on down the road after uh, we get through um, some of this series. By the way, this series is called First Things First, which you probably heard when Allie was, uh, was reading their scripture this morning. But these are the words of the Amen. Verse 15, Jesus says <clears throat> to the church at Latakia, um, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. He said, I wish you would either, you were one or the other. Okay, so let's just break this down. Jesus knows how to speak your language. Now, I'm not talking about English here. He knows how to speak the things that you experience and the things that you know and the things that you can relate to. Okay, so John wrote this in about the year 90. So maybe we don't relate exactly to what he's saying here. So I'm going to shed some light on this. And we're going to look at what Jesus is talking about. Not as a historical lesson. Not as a geography lesson or anything else that you're going to get out of this this morning. What we're doing this for is so that we can learn how to apply God's truth to our lives. How we can open our lives to God's truth. And not just a one and done kind of thing. We've got to talk about applying God's truth to every aspect of our life or to the different aspects of our lives. There's places in our lives, those dark corners that we don't like to look at, talk about, or open up that need to have God's light shined on them. That's what we're going to do this for. That's what our purpose is. That's what I want you to walk out the door with this morning, a way to apply these truths to our lives. Let me give you a little background before I really get going here. So uh, when we lived in Japan, I got to travel all over the country. Um, Some of the big cities, some of the small cities, the big islands, the small islands. Um, One thing that was kind of the common denominator there were the onsens, they call them, the hot spring tub, you know, bath kind of things. And they build hotels right over the top of them. So you'll see this elaborate five-star hotel with a Starbucks in the lobby and everything. And then you go down to what you think is going to be the basement, and it's really a network of caves. And Because they haven't changed that at all. These caves with these pools, these onsens, these hot spring tubs down there that you can soak in for a while. It feels really good. Well, okay, so not only in Japan, that, that happens in different regions around the world. I've got a map here um, that I want you to see of the modern-day Turkey is what this really is. So you see a lot of Kaya there, right? And you see uh, the city of Heropolis there to the north. Okay, so this area, just like Japan, has a lot of seismic activity in it, you know, um, earthquakes and things like that. So they've got hot springs that, that spring up all over the place. But not in, in Latakia. That didn't happen there, but it did happen over there in Heropolis. So people would come from all over the world, all over the known world or that region, 
to, they'd come to Heropolis to um, bathe in these hot springs. And they thought that they had healing powers, you know, medicinal purposes. So they come out. So Heropolis was taken care of. They had their tourist industry down pretty good, and they made a lot of money on that whole idea of those hot springs. Okay, now on the opposite end of that spectrum is the city of Colossae. You see that a little bit to the south there. The city of Colossae. Now, Colossae didn't have hot springs. Colossae, for whatever reason, has cold springs. So they've got incredibly cold water that comes up from the ground. And so they've got these cold water pools that people go to. And again, it's a tourist attraction. They go to Colossae to get relieved with these cold waters and get a nice cold water or glass of water to drink. Now you think, big deal, cold glass of water. Well, think. I, do I need to remind you that this is way before a refrigerator or an ice machine or anything else like that? So both of those regions, both of those cities, had big tourist industries. One, because they had these hot springs and one that had these cold springs. Well, in the middle, you got Latakia. And Latakia now is the, is the richest city in that area, the biggest city in that area, kind of the county seat, if you will, something like that. But now they had neither hot springs nor cold springs. In fact, they were getting so populated that they were out doing their water supply. So they had to figure out some way to get water into the city so that they could just function, so they could just have enough water to take care of all the people that were there. Colossae would have been the obvious choice because it's got these cold water springs, but Colossae is so far down into the valley that there's no way you can get water pushed up the hill like that, not without modern-day pumps and things like that. But Heropolis was higher than them, so they ran water down. They had this great network and this um, incredible construction uh, project that went down. They brought water from Heropolis down to uh, Latakia. And so what they thought, though, is they thought, well, not only are we going to get all this water that we need, we're going to get these hot water springs, and we're going to get these hot water spas, and we can do our own thing. Well, obviously, by the time the water got down to them, it wasn't hot anymore. It was rather lukewarm. And it also smelled really bad. Imagine that, you know, that sulfur smell that made people nauseous just to, just to smell it. Nobody wanted to drink it uh, because of how bad it tasted. So Jesus now... With all that background that these people already know, because he's writing to the people that are experiencing this, right? He's speaking to the people that are experiencing this. In verse 16, he says this. He says, Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. Um, this is a message that carried a pretty strong punch to them. We might look at it and say, well, is our, is our walk with God, is it hot or cold? But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying hot water has its purpose, and it's a great purpose. Cold water has its purpose, and it's a great purpose. He's saying right now, you have no purpose. You're just floating around, and you're not doing anything. And he's comparing their spiritual life to that rancid water that's coming down that they're expecting people to drink because they really don't have any other choice because that's the only water that they've got. Right? And that word spit, by the way, is actually vomit. I mean, we're kind of cleaning it up a little here in this, in this uh, version, but it, it, it's really something that you can't control. God says, or Jesus is saying, I, I can't control it. I have to get you out of my mouth. And now, understand at the same time, though, that Jesus is not rejecting these people. He's not rejecting them. But he does paint a picture of how he feels, how Jesus feels, how God feels, when we're spiritually lukewarm to Jesus. And, and literally giving him the leftovers of our lives. You know, the moments of our lives and the things that we want to do, and then we say, well, yeah, we're just going to give this, this little part over here, this little portion to Jesus of our time and our, our, the things that we do in our lives. So that's a position that, 
that we've kind of fallen on right now. I really feel like the timing of this message and the timing of this is, is right because um, the world isn't looking the way anybody wants it to right now. And the reaction that people are having is they're pulling further away from God rather than pulling closer to him. Right? They're saying, oh, I'm losing my faith, rather than them using their faith. They're starting to go the other direction, and then it's getting a snowball effect. Starting to pull away from everything that matters, everything that, that God offers us. So that's how God feels about that lukewarm relationship with him. And this is how he feels um, getting the scraps and, and the leftovers um, in your life. But even after all that, even after all those verses, and there's more coming, I'm going to spare you. I'm going to summarize them for you here in a second. But hearing that out of Jesus' mouth, right? That's why I emphasize that these are red letters in, in the book of Revelation. Hearing these words out of Jesus' mouth, um, there's still hope. In the next couple of verses, um, Jesus reminds you that the ball is in your court. But time is short, and we need to act on this. Because he says, not only is the ball in your court, um, you're thinking the wrong way because you think you've got it all together. You think you have what you need. You're thinking a little more highly of yourself. Not necessarily in relation to other people, but in your relationship with God. Do we really understand that we need God in our lives and we need him to do this for us? Or do we think a little bit more highly of ourselves than we should? Because in the next couple of verses, he uses some pretty... um, I don't know, vivid adjectives. He says, um, we think we have what we need, but we're really, we're wretched. We're miserable. We're blind. We're poor. We're naked. That's the next couple of verses, what's coming up. But then there's a big but. It's not too late, Jesus says. And Jesus says, I am there for you, and I'm not going anywhere. Your relationship with me maybe right now is lukewarm. And like I said, maybe you don't feel like that in, in the big picture. But I want you to examine the smaller aspects of your life. And say, where am I not bringing Jesus? Where am I giving him the leftovers in my relationship with him? So Jesus puts it rather plainly. And the promise is quite promising. Let's look at uh, Revelation 3, verse 20. Again, this is Jesus talking. He says, Behold, which means, check it out. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Back it up from the beginning. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then it says, If what? If who? I'm sorry, if who? I'm sorry, who? Is there any stipulations to that? Any prerequisites? He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, a little bit of contingency, opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. Okay. This is huge. The word dine here um, is not just any old dinner. It's not just uh, any old meal. Because we think, okay, um, I'm going to open the door to him. He's going to come in. And I'm going to throw down a Thanksgiving meal or a Christmas meal or a New Year's Day meal. But Jesus is saying, thinking way too small. We only see that word in two other places. And it's the same context. That word dine is the Lord's Supper. 
We only see that at, on that Thursday night at that Passover meal. And so Jesus is saying, not, we're not going to just sit down and eat. It's not a physical thing that I just want to fill your belly. No, I want to fill your soul and I want to fill your life and I want to fill your world. We'll fill it with what? Well, check this out. I'm going to back up a little bit and then we're going to go back to that word dine. Look at Luke twenty-two nineteen. And he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we think back to, don't go back to it, but when we think back to uh, Revelation 3.20, where he says we're gonna, he's going to dine with us, well, what he's really doing is he's reminding, that he's, uh, reminding us that he's giving his body for us. This is my body, what? It's a gift. Right? Given for you. What's the contingent on? Well, opening that door, hearing him, opening the door and allowing him into our heart. That's why when we receive communion, those are the words that should ring in our heads. The body of Christ given for you. Right? And then he says, do this in remembrance of me. As a remembrance of what? Well, remembrance of what, that he's going to come for us. That he's already given himself for us. The same thing happens in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. 24. Kind of a crazy place to start a verse, but it says, um, and gave thanks to God for it. We're talking about the bread, of course. Then he broke that bread. In pieces and said, this is my body, which is what? Given for you. And then the command after that is, do this in remembrance of me. Okay, I want to show you that word back here in 1 Corinthians in the next verse. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five it says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, I'm sorry, after supper. That's, the, that's that word dine from the book of Revelation, right? Revelation 3.20. It's the same word. Again, this is the only place we see it. We're not talking about a meal. We're not talking about any, you know, even a special banquet. or No, we're talking about the serious stuff. We're talking about the real stuff. If you open your heart to me, I am going to come in and I am going to commune with you. And we are going to celebrate the Eucharist together. Not some turkey dinner, not some ham dinner, not whatever else you want to put in. No, the real deal. So Jesus is saying, look back at Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... Come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. If you'll open the door to your heart and let me in, we won't be sharing just any old meal. We'll be sharing the Lord's Supper. We'll be sharing the Eucharist. Not a meal of leftovers. How's that sound so far? What's the guy in the commercial say? But wait, there's more. If you act right now with no additional... Since Jesus says several times, this is my body given for you, there's so much more after that that Jesus is going to grant you. This meal, this this Eucharist, listen to me now, the Eucharist is not the end game. Communion is not the end game. It's not even the goal. It's the reminder of the goal. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, remembrance of what, right? Well, Jesus says, if you'll stop being distracted by the world and all the flimsy excuses you can muster to not be in his presence, which is only hurting you, by the way, right? If you can overcome the world and put your faith and your trust in the one who gave his life for you, he makes an incredible promise. Overcoming the world. Overcoming the world and putting your faith and trust in the one who gave his life. I've got an illustration for you this morning. I'm going to try not to set myself on fire again. I've got this jar here. 
And I've got this candle in the jar. So the jar represents the world. The candle represents you. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Get in the world and shine your light in the world. Easier said than done sometimes, right? Because the world can be a tough place to shine our light. And there's some obstacles that make it really difficult to overcome and shine our light. And Jesus says, you might think you got it all under control, but you don't. He says, you might be able to do this by, you might think you can do this by yourself, but you can't. Jesus reminded us a couple of times, you are in this world, but you're not of this world. So when things really start happening, our light starts to get snuffed out if we conform to the patterns of this world. Isn't that the way we just read it a second ago? But if we don't conform to the patterns of this world, can you guys still see that? Can you still see it? You're not impressed? You can't see that the candle is still burning? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, you can't see it. Well, it's still burning. You want me to set something on fire with it? How is it that this candle can still be burning? In the world, you can't see it? There's obstacles in the world, right? Jesus says, you are in this world, but... (laughs) You are not of this world. So if we conform to the patterns of this world, our light is going to go out. It's pretty clear about that whole thing right there. And then he says it like this in verse 21. I'm going to get you out of the water so you don't drown. He says it like this in verse 21. To the one who... What? the one who overcomes. Overcomes what? Overcomes the world, right? We say it like that, but we talk about different obstacles. Remember I said Jesus speaks your language and he speaks to things that you can relate to? You know what? So does Satan. He gives you the things that you want to look for and the things that you want to embrace. Everybody's is going to look different, the obstacles that we need to overcome. But Jesus promises this. He says... To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne. Are you kidding me? Just as I myself overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Kind of makes you want to overcome, doesn't it? Anybody ever told you this before? You say, what's heaven going to look like? Wow, you know, there's going to be puppies and some candy and some cake. Well, you know what? There's going to be a throne that you're going to be sitting on with Jesus. The same way he overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. Overcome what? Overcome the world. Overcome the lies of the devil. Mostly, you ready for this? Overcome yourself. Get ready yourself for a little while and let God come in. 
Get rid of that lukewarm attitude that you got to God in your relationship with Him and just giving Him the leftovers of your life. God says, Jesus says, I have a throne waiting for you. May or may not be the same one that He left and came down to this earth that we just celebrated here a few weeks ago at Christmas. He says, that's what I've got in store for you. That's what he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what? Remember that I got a place for you sitting next to me. Place of honor. Right? There's one key word in all of this. Back in verse 20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If. If. Anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come into him. We'll share the Eucharist together as a reminder of what I have in store for you. If you'll open the door to your heart, your soul, your mind. And again, you might be thinking, well, I did that. I got a one and done deal. No, it's not like that. Renew it every day. Like we're going to sing a hymn, ponder anew what the Almighty can do, if. I want you to take a look at this uh, rather famous painting from a guy by the name of Werner Salman. He painted that in 1942. I'm guessing you've seen it before. Understand that this depicts Jesus knocking at the door of your life. You guys seen this before? You know the significance of that door? There's no doorknob. Not on his side. Great picture of your life. If Jesus could do it himself, it wouldn't be your choice. And it wouldn't be an act of love. If he just created a robot and said, all these people are going to follow me, all these people are going to love me, that's not what love is. So he wants the one thing from you that he can't force from you And that's you. Your love, your life, first things first. Not giving him the leftovers of our life. Not giving him the scraps. Giving him priority over everything else. Giving him that first place in our lives. I told you when we started... I feel like every week to look the same, they're not, it's not going to happen here. And I know that we don't have communion scheduled for today. But we can't look at this stuff and not receive communion together. So we're going to pray. And then we're going to hear the words of institution again. And we're going to receive communion with each other. And I want you to remember, and I want you to know, and I want you to understand... That when we, he says, Jesus says the words, do this in remembrance of me, this is what he wants us to remember. This is not the end game. This is not the goal. This is the reminder of what he has in store for us. If we will just overcome the world and forget about this, forget about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, what you're going to do to forget it. And just concentrate on who he is and what he has in store for your life. And what he has in store for you is a pretty big deal.
It has to do with his throne room in heaven and a place for you. So would you please stand with me? And let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for all that you do and all that you are. We ask that you help us to have, make you the priority of our lives. To not give you the time that's left over, or the energy that's left over. Help us to make you first in our lives. We thank you for the promises that you've given us. The promises that you are there for us. And all we need to do is respond to you. Even though we don't know exactly what that's going to mean and what tomorrow's going to look like, but you're there for us. And you're never going to leave us. You're never going to forsake us. And when we open that door, you come in and you give your life to us. So we thank you again for who you are. We thank you for this Christmas season that we've just celebrated. The fact that you came down from that throne room in heaven to walk around with us, to teach us, to lead us, to help us understand who you are and the life that we have in you. So we ask, us, we ask you now, Lord, as we partake in this Eucharist, that you help us remember who you are. Help us remember what you have in store for our lives. And help that make a difference in how we treat you in the priority list of our lives where we put you. Don't let us just give you the leftovers and the scraps of our lives. Help us to put you first in every aspect of our lives. Again, Lord, we thank you for being here with us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for what you're teaching us. In the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. Scripture says that they sang a hymn. We usually say the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, Our Father, 